All right, well, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one underneath the chair in front of you or nearby. And if you're going to use one of our Bibles, it is on page 1277. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, as we continue our sermon series through the letter to the Hebrews. And kids, if you're tracking the word of the day, the word of the day today is rest. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath today, they shall, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for gathering us here this morning that we might sing your praises, hear assurance of our forgiveness through faith in Christ, and that we may now look in your word and worship you through the preached word. Father, we just pray that you would bless us now. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to the majesty of the Lord Jesus in this passage? Would you help us See what is promised and cling to it by faith. That we might know you more and grow in faith and be more equipped and excited to make disciples of our neighbors and of the nations. For your glory and for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading uh, an article about sleep the other day. I got so upset. Um... It was an article talking about how there's been some studies done uh, regarding which states of the United States, um, in which states people are getting the most sleep. Okay, so they know, and they've ranked them the number one state where people get the most sleep all the way down to the 50th. So guess where Florida ranks as far as states that get the most sleep? 
29. 29. Come on, people. We got to get more sleep than that. This, this is what they've, they've said. Basically, the way they ranked it is they looked at the states in which adults are reporting insufficient sleep. And they're saying that in Florida, 36% of adults get insufficient sleep. Now, as a lover of sleep, um, I, I, I think we've got to work on this. Because here's, here's, here's what I got upset about. Guess what's the number one state? What state gets the most sleep? South Dakota. Okay? South Dakota, they, those people know how to sleep. Um, number two, Colorado. Okay? Those big mountains and pine trees just lull you to sleep, apparently. Now, here's what I'm upset about. Guess what number three is? Minnesota. Thank you. All right? So that means that 10 some years ago when Hannah and I moved down here, I left number three. Okay? I left Sleepville. I left the wonderful area where people sleep. And I came to 29. But it was for the Lord, so that's okay. And, uh, and we're all in this together now. But, but let's work on that. Let's get more sleep. You know, we, we talk about that. And there's, there's, from time to time, there is stuff in the news about sleep and how to get more sleep. And there's, it's just really something we all realize that we do better when we're rested. We do better when we've gotten the sleep that we need. And the reality is, you know, we, we, we understand that from a physical, biological uh, realm, right? We understand our bodies need sleep so that we can be rested. But what we really need even more than that, what our hearts are really crying out for, more than just physical sleep, is real, true rest for our souls. In fact, the more rest we have for our soul, uh, the more our physical Uh, tiredness doesn't affect us we need that real true rest that only god can provide whether we realize it or not that's what our souls are like crying out for a lot of what we do is in an attempt in an attempt to feel some sort of rest and uh, a feeling of having no worries or, or no struggles or no pressure we are our souls long for that rest type feeling where we just feel everything is right in the world And that is something that is so few and far between. We don't experience that feeling very often because we live in a fallen and broken world where there's so much wrong. There's so many things that we're always fretting about and and having to deal with. And as we move through the letter to the Hebrews now, you know, the author's been developing a theme of perseverance. That whatever comes, we, we must persevere in faith. We must hold firm to our confession, hold firm to the things that we believe the things that have been revealed to us in the gospel, in God's word. And, you know, last week we were talking a lot about sort of this, this warning about falling away. We want to, you know, trust the Lord and hold firm that we don't fall away. And now the author really shifts to this concept of not missing out. That we would hold firm so that we don't miss out on what God has for us, what he has promised us, because part of the good news of the gospel is that God has promised rest for his people, real, amazing, powerful rest for his people. It's like um, Augustine said. He said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And he's so right that we we were made for God And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Him. 
And so as we continue this series, as we continue to follow Jesus, we want to keep in mind that Jesus is leading us somewhere. He's taking us somewhere. Jesus is leading those who persevere in faith into God's glorious rest. Okay, Say that again. Jesus is leading those who persevere in faith into God's glorious rest. And so we're going to talk about God's rest, uh, entering it, and then explaining it, and third, experiencing it. Entering God's rest, explaining God's rest, and experiencing it. So keep your Bibles open. Let's walk right through these verses this morning. Let's talk about entering God's rest. How do we enter God's rest? And what he tells us here is that it's really through faith, through genuine faith, we gain access to this glorious rest that God has for us. Genuine faith is a persevering faith. Take a look. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, while the promise of entering God's rest or entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. And there it is. We who have believed, we who have truly trusted God, enter that rest. Now, once again, what he's doing is he's talking about that first wilderness generation. We talked about them last week. That was the generation of Israelites that were enslaved in Egypt. And Moses led them out of Egypt into the wilderness. And they were supposed to follow Moses through the wilderness and then enter the promised land. But that first wilderness generation never entered the promised land because while they were in the wilderness, even though they believed in God, they didn't really trust him. We talked a lot about that last week. They didn't really trust him. Now, what's interesting is Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses speaks about the land as a place of rest. And the second generation of Israelites did enter into the promised land. They did uh, experience rest in the promised land. But what, what the author is doing here is reminding us of that sad result of that first wilderness generation. And he's actually telling us to fear. He's, he actually says fear, that we should fear. What he's doing is his aim is to awaken a godly fear in his hearers so that they will be aware of the seriousness of their situation and be moved to persevere. Okay, He's using the reality that we, we should be afraid of missing out on what God has for us. And that fear, if we let it, will drive us to then do what we need to do, which is to truly trust in God, to truly trust him as we follow Jesus. Because we're in a situation that's really not that different than they were. Okay, that's what he's saying in verse 2 when he says, for good news came to us, just as to them. If you literally read that, it says, for we were evangelized just like they were. That's the word that's used, that the good news came. And so that first wilderness generation was in a situation of having received God's promises, just like we are in a situation of having received God's promise as well, his promise of rest, his promise of salvation as well. And so we're kind of in the same boat they are. Good news came to them. Good news has come to us. And so His challenge here, his call, is that we need to 
fear that possibility that we haven't actually entered, that we haven't actually truly trusted in him. Because we don't want to miss out. Again, that's his emphasis now. We don't want to miss out on what God has for us. thinking about this and it reminds me of this story of uh, my two sisters one time and my brother-in-law were driving and they stopped at a gas station and when they got out to go do whatever they needed to do at the gas station uh, my younger sister spotted a cat and this cat was in rough shape I mean it was thin as a rail you could see its ribs its fur was all messed up it's not a pretty kitty and um, now my sister my younger sister is like the world-class animal lover. She just absolutely loves animals, advocates for animals. I mean, she is, it just doesn't get any, people don't get more serious about loving animals than, than my sister. I don't know anybody who loves animals as much as she does. And so she goes over, she sees this little cat, and she, she tries to get it to come to her, and she's saying, you know, here, kitty, kitty, or whatever you might say if you're trying to get a cat to come to you. And this, this cat kind of runs off and goes under a car. So she doesn't give up. She kind of chases after the cat and sort of reaches under the car to see if she can get the cat. And the cat runs over behind a dumpster. And so she goes over and she's, again, trying to get this cat to come out. And she ends up even going inside, buying some food and trying to lure the cat out with that. And then eventually the time came where they had to leave. And so my sister, she actually called someone that she knew who lived nearby. And she said, look, I'm at this gas station. I got to go. But there's a cat here that really needs help. And she was hoping the person would say, well, I'll be right there. But they just said, so? Uh, So it didn't work out. They had to leave, right? They ended up leaving. And here's what's so sad about that, if you think about that story. Now, it's not like Molly, my sister, is just some normal person who would have maybe taken the cat to a humane society or something. She would have taken that cat, she would have scooped that cat up and loved that cat, taken it home and given it the best bath that a cat ever received. She would have bought all the climby toys that ever existed. She would have bought a litter box the size of a barn for that cat. I mean, she would have done everything. That cat would have had the most amazing experience. But it missed out. Because it just wouldn't trust her. And that's what he's saying we must be afraid of here, that, that we God has so much for us, more than we can possibly fathom in this life. We want to be sure that we're not going to miss out on that. We want to be sure that our faith is genuine. And if it is genuine, it'll seem genuine. Notice how he says there, let, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed. In other words, we want to make sure it seems like we really do trust the Lord. And that's why this has to be something that's done in community. Like we can know that we know the Lord. The Bible makes clear that we can know that we have eternal life. John says that in 1 John. But if you are someone who's wondering if you've really, truly put your faith in Christ and truly positioned yourself to enter this rest of God, if you're wondering about that, You should be asking people. You should be talking about it. You can come to your life group leader, a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a good Christian friend, and even boldly ask, does it seem like I really trust God? Does God want us to be afraid every day? No. He wants us to be afraid enough to ensure that we move towards true faith and really 
have true faith, which is trusting him, not just believing in him, but actually trusting him. And the way that we know that we trust him is we live to do what he says. Not perfectly. We still sin. We still struggle. But we have a disposition of trusting him and seeking to obey him. So ask yourself and even ask others, does it seem that my faith is genuine? Okay. Because what are we missing out on? Let's, let's explain God's rest a little bit. Uh, verse 3b, the second part of verse 3 and uh, through 5, ex- explaining God's rest. And here's what we want to see here. That, so, the, so the rest that our hearts really desire, okay, the, the rest that our, we're made for, is not something that is found within us. It's something that God has, and if we're going to have it too, he must share it with us. Okay? The rest that we really, really want is not something within us. It's something God has, and if we're going to have it, he must share what he has with us. Look at the rest of verse 3. He says, As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Now, what's interesting is the author here is using Psalm 95 again. But now he's not emphasizing the threat as much of not entering the rest, as, but, but the promise of those two words, my rest, God has a rest. God has rest. He, he enjoys rest. One author says, God speaks of it as my rest, that is, the rest which he himself enjoys and promises to share with his people. Okay? So he has this rest that he's willing to share with us through faith. Now, this is totally countercultural. This is totally different than what the world tries to tell us. The world tells us to look inside, to look within for the things that we need, right? If you need more strength, you look within. Find the strength within. If you need peace, look within. Find the strength within. If you need rest. But what the Scriptures are showing us here is, no, we don't have it inside of us. It has to come from outside of us. It's not inside of us. Blaise Pascal is right when he says, it is vain that you seek within yourselves the cure for your miseries. It's not something inside. It's not something we can manufacture. Okay? It's only something that God has. And if we're going to have it, he must share it with us. Think about this. What, what is God's rest like? It's, in one sense, it's indescribable, but he does connect it here to creation. And if you think about creation, God worked for six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. And that rest was a, was a perfect rest. It was a satisfying rest. Think about the days of creation, how day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, he was creating different aspects of creation. And at the end of each day, he would say, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And at the end of creating, right before he rests, he says, it's very good. And so he has this, there's this rest there where everything is just right. Everything is perfect. There's no problems. There's no worries. There's no stress. There's no struggles. There's no enemies. There's no threats. Everything is perfectly right. That's the kind of rest. Fully satisfying rest. That's God's rest. And it's hard for us to even imagine that, right? 
I look back, I'm trying to remember times in my life where I felt like I had no problems, no worries, everything was all right. And I think I got to go back to elementary school. Like, remember the last day of school before summer? And like, you'd fill in that last Scantron sheet of your test or whatever and hand it into your teacher and you'd run outside and yell, school's out for summer. And like, you just, I mean, you just, you just feel it because there's no tests coming up. There's no assignments due. There's nothing that you have to get, you're ready for. You're just free to just run around and get muddy and have a blast. Even that rest so pales in comparison to what God's rest is like and that he wants to share with us. No problems, no worries, no stress, no struggles, no enemies, no threats. Now, the thing is, again, if we're going to experience that true rest, if we want real rest, not just the rest that we can try to come up with, but if we want real rest, God's rest, he has to share it with us. And he has promised that he he is. He's promised us that rest. He's promised to let us exist like he exists. Truly at rest. Now, if you're like me, sometimes because we don't experience a ton of rest in this life, uh, sometimes it's hard to believe that he's really going to give us that. Is it, is it really going to be like that? Is it, are we really going to live at rest, complete rest? And the answer is yes, and the guarantee is the cross. This is why understanding the cross and resurrection of Jesus is absolutely fundamental to believing that the rest will come. Think about this. In Romans 8, 32, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, right? And what he's saying is, if God has given us his son, then he will give us everything. If he will give to us what's most valuable to him, then he will give us anything and everything. And so you apply that to this rest. And when we struggle to believe, we really will be at rest. We really will feel everything is perfect. We really will be 100% satisfied in the presence of God. When we're doubting that, we're struggling to believe that, we look to the cross and we remember that the cross is the proof that God will give us these things. He gave us his son. He's going to give us this rest. So how do we experience it? Third, let's talk about experiencing God's rest. Look at verse 6 through 11. And here's what we need to understand. Those who persevere in faith will experience this rest of God's ultimately in the next life. That's when we'll fully experience the rest that God has for us. But God does let us sample his rest as we trust him in this life. Say that again. Those who persevere in faith will experience God's rest ultimately in the next life, but God does let us sample, taste his rest as we trust him in this life. Look at verse 6. He says, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, In the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so what he's saying is that same promise of rest that was given to that first wilderness generation, that was given to the second generation, that was given to God's people throughout history is still there. It's still on the table. The promise stands, like he said in the first verse. Now look at verse 8. He says, for if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. 
So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, what's interesting about this is if you read in the Old Testament, you see that God actually did give that second generation of Israelites rest with the ones who did trust Joshua, follow Joshua into the promised land. They did experience rest, a temporal rest, a temporary rest. And what the author is saying is that the rest that the people of God experienced after following Joshua into the promised land was rest, but it wasn't the rest. It wasn't the ultimate rest. There still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And notice, he does not make any distinction between the Old Testament and New Testament people of God. He just says, for the people of God. You see that? And what he's getting at here is Joshua led them into experiencing rest in their lives, but it wasn't the the rest, it wasn't the ultimate rest. That's yet to come. There's still a Sabbath rest yet to come. And he uses a different word there for rest than he's been using. And he involves this idea of Sabbath, which is about celebrating. It's a celebratory rest with praise and worship. It's one of the reasons we have our Lord's Day, our day of rest, where we come together to praise God, to worship God, to experience communion with Him, to, to have that sweet picture of the rest to come. But the ultimate rest that remains, the Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God will come after our life of faith. Look at verse 10. He says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from all his works as God did from his. In other words, the way God worked for six days and then rested. Our lives... The way God shares that rest with us is we have a life where we serve him. We we believe him. We trust him. And that faith leads us to live a life of service. And at the end of our life of serving God, we will rest forever just like he rests forever. Which is another call to persevere, to continue to live by faith. That's what 11 is saying. Look what he says in 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. In other words, he's saying the first wilderness generation, they they didn't trust God and so they didn't enter the promised land. That's the bad example. We want to be the people of of that second generation that followed Joshua into the promised land. And what's so interesting about that is Joshua, the Hebrew name, if translated into the Greek, would be Jesus. So Joshua is the Jesus of the Old Testament. Or Jesus is the true and better Joshua, basically. That's how we should see that. Jesus is the true and better Joshua. He's greater than Joshua. Joshua led them in where they did experience rest, but it wasn't the real rest. Jesus is the one leading us into the real rest, his glorious rest. And so we must strive to enter. How do you enter? Through faith, right? So he's saying, striving to live by faith, striving to live by faith, to trust God, to do things his way. So we follow the true and better Joshua, Jesus himself, into God's rest. Now, what about now, though? So we will experience God's rest fully in the new heavens and new earth. That's where Jesus is leading us. But what about now? And the the, the sweet thing is we do experience rest now, just like that second generation got temporal rest. You and I can experience God's rest Now, not all of it, 
But we can taste it. We can experience it. In fact, the more we trust Him, the more we trust Him, the more we experience the rest that is to come. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 11. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, verse 28 through 30, He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see what he's saying? He's saying right even now. The way that we experience rest in this life is through trust that leads to us taking his yoke upon us, letting him be our master. And doing things his way, we get to experience tastes of that rest Even now, the more we trust him, the more we will obey, the more we will obey, the more we'll actually experience some of that rest. We taste that rest. One, because we feel rest from from the the fear or the worry of of the penalty for our sin, right? When we know we trust him, we know that we're forgiven, that we won't suffer the penalty due for our sin because Jesus suffered that for us. But also, as we trust him, we know we've been liberated from the power of sin, right? He's liberated us from sin's power. And as we repent of our sin and turn away from doing things our way and take his yoke upon us, we do experience his rest. As we worship him, as we trust in the ordinary means of grace, word, sacraments, and prayer, we experience tastes of his grace. As we spend time in community with one another and care for one another, we experience tastes. As we're on mission together and see him using us, the more serious we get about trusting and therefore obeying him, the more we will experience that rest. You know, we we sing here sometimes an old hymn that Jack put some new music to called The Sands of Time Are Sinking. And there's such a great verse in that song. And he's talking about the reality that we, we do experience some of what we will experience in the next life. We do experience some of that now. And it's real. It's just kind of a lesser amount, so to speak. He says, O Christ, He is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The streams of earth, the streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. There to an ocean fullness, His mercy does expand, and glory glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. You see what he's saying? He's saying that on earth we experience the love of Christ and we can really apply this to everything that, he's, that we have through faith in Christ. That we experience it like we're drinking from a stream now. But when we are in the new heavens and new earth, we'll drink it from the ocean. There to an ocean fullness, His mercy does expand. What that tells us is, what that reminds us is, God wants us to experience that coming rest now. And he, and he does that. He shares that with us as we trust in Him. So we strive to live by faith. Not only to enter that rest, but also to experience it even now. I mean, this is, I'll give you an example. So, Hannah and I have, have realized what I'm sure a lot of married couples have realized. And that is, there's an amazing thing that happens 
when we, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel, when we seek to treat one another as God has instructed us to do so, something happens. And it's, you know, when we, when we seek, to, when, we're, when we're seeking to be selfish, when we're serving ourselves, when we're not trying to do the things that, that God wants us to do, when we're, when we're not taking Jesus' yoke upon us, it's, it's crazy. You know, we get in fights, we struggle, it's crazy. But when we do, when we say, Jesus, you be my master, you, you, you show me how to treat her and her how to treat me, what happens, it's amazing. As we strive by the power of the Holy Spirit to do the things he has called us to do in our marriage, we experience rest. And you can apply that across the board. The more that we strive to live by faith, the more we do experience the rest that comes from living in his ways. He's sharing his life with us. He's sharing that rest with us. So get all you can, right? Get as much of a taste, get as much of a gulp as you can. Drink deeply. Now, from what's to come. As we get more and more serious about our faith, which is believing not only the gospel that we're forgiven and declared righteous because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, and we receive that through faith. It's believing not only that, but but trusting Him and trusting His ways are the best ways. And as we trust Him and live according to His ways, we taste the streams that remind us that there is a coming ocean of rest to come. O Christ, He is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. There too in ocean fullness, His mercy does expand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Father, we do thank You. And we, uh, if we would just think this week, about the fact that you want to share your rest with us. Who knows what transformation might take place in our little hearts as we drink from the streams of your gigantic heart. Father, would you just help us to to look to you for rest Jesus, would you help us take your yoke upon us? Holy Spirit, would you empower us for holiness, for obedience, that we might taste as much of the streams as possible as we wait to drink from the ocean? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.